0: Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My is Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. Isaiah chapter
1: 9 Verses 1 to 4. The future king. There will be no way for them to escape from this time of trouble. The land of the tribes of Zebulun and Nephalia was once disgraced, but the future will bring honour to this region, from the Mediterranean eastwards to the land on the other side of the Jordan and even to Galilee itself, where the foreigners live. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They lived in a land of shadows, but now light is shining on them. You have given them great joy, Lord. You have made them happy. They rejoice in what you have done, as people rejoice when they harvest grain or when they divide captured wealth. For you have broken the yoke that burdened them and the rod that beat their shoulders. You have defeated the nation that oppressed and exploited your people just as you defeated the army of Midian long ago. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 to 23, Jesus begins his work in Galilee. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he went away to Galilee. He did not stay in Nazareth, but went to live in Capernaum, a town by Lake Galilee, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, This was done to make come true what the prophet Isaiah had said. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, on the road to the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee, land of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness will see great light. On those who live in the dark land of death, the light will shine. From that time, Jesus began to preach his message. Turn away from your sins, because the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus walked along the shore of Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers who were fishermen, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, catching fish in the lake with a net. Jesus said to them, Come with me, and I will teach you to catch people. At once they left their nets and went with him. He went on and saw two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in their boat with their father Zebedee, getting their nets ready. Jesus called to them, And at once they left the boat and their father and went with him. Jesus went all over Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news and the kingdom, and healing people who had all kinds of disease and sickness. Amen.
0: Sometimes in the story of Jesus, there are little things that are hugely important. We've discovered in the past that things like people's names and even the the meaning of a place name can add something huge to a story that we bypass because we don't understand them. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled Zebulun and Naphtali Zebulun and Naphtali were sons of Jacob brothers of Joseph they were one of the original 12 tribes of Israel and so when the Israelites came into the promised land Each of the tribes was given an area to go to. And Zebulun and Naphtali were sent up to the north of the kingdom, around the Galilee. But they had split. The two kingdoms had split in two. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had split. And so the land of Zebulun and Naphtali had left. They'd left the the line of the king and all that kind of stuff zebulun and naphtali were fertile lands they had plenty of water and they had good soil and that's pretty rare in that part of the world so you would have thought that they'd be heavily populated areas but they had a problem they had noisy neighbors zebulun and naphtali were on the border. And the Assyrians were right next door. And the Assyrians were constantly coming over the border and invading and killing people and stealing their sheep and all that kind of stuff that happens on the border between places. So much so that nobody really wanted to live there. It was just too much hassle. Even though the land was good, it it just, you know, it wasn't worth it. And so it was a place that nobody really wanted to be, especially in the time of Isaiah. And that's what the prophet is talking about. The people lived in the shadow of the darkness of death. Galilee was a place that was held in low regard. When the twelve tribes settled the land, they were told to drive out and kill all the people that lived there. There were people already living in the promised land, and when they came into the promised land, they killed everybody or, or made them go somewhere else, except for the tribes of Nebulum and Naphtali they didn't drive out the people who were there the people in Naphtali and Zebulun lived among the people who were already there and they married them and they had children together and the other tribes weren't impressed because that somehow diluted the purity of the race And so they didn't like the people in Galilee. Place is often a device that Matthew uses in his telling of the story of Jesus. Geography is hugely important because the land and its history tells part of the story. Things happen in places. If I was to say Glencoe, all of you go, oh, we know what happened there there was a massacre in Glencoe and every time you drive through it you think about it because there's a song and poems and oh it's one of those places isn't it Bannockburn That's a very different story isn't it Culloden we have places all around us that have lots of history and even just saying the name brings back some of those stories Capernaum The land of Zebulun and Naphtali had the same resonances for the people of Israel. Places on the edge, on the borderlands, places where there's been trouble and things aren't quite right. And it's there, out on the margins, out on the edge, where centuries of people have been afraid and have lived in the dark shadow of invasion and war that Jesus begins his ministry. But Galilee isn't really like that anymore by the time Jesus gets there. There are two great Roman roads that run through Galilee. They go from Damascus, and one of them goes all the way to the sea at Caesarea Philippi, and the other one goes to Tiberias, which is a garrison town on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' base is now a bustling trade route between Syria and the sea and people travel up and down the lake going north to Lebanon and he's right in the middle of all of that teaching and healing and performing miracles so news of Jesus travels fast we missed out verses 24 and 25 today and they tell about how far Jesus' fame had spread that everybody knew about him right at the beginning of the story it seems these days that slogans are good. Advertisers and <coughs> political campaigners like to boil things down to as few words as possible because statements stick in our head, don't they? Slogans stick in our head forever. Don't believe me? What did the Milky Bar Kid say? The Milky Bells <laughs> are on me. For MASH... Bank that likes to say, yes. there you go. They're from like the, the 70s and 80s, 20, 30 years ago, and we still all remember the slogans for the adverts. Smash was rotten, wasn't it? <laughs> but we really liked the aliens and the adverts. The TSB didn't say yes to any and more than any other bank. But when you say it like that, it sounds like they're great, so we should just go and join the TS. Do you know what I mean? That's what we do. We, we sloganize and we, we say things so that people can remember. And Jesus picks up on a slogan, John the Baptist's slogan, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it makes perfect sense for Jesus to do this. After all, John talked about Jesus as the one to come, the one who would follow him, the one who would be even greater than he was. So why wouldn't Jesus continue the same teaching? Consistency, continuity, we like those things. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven comes near. would look brilliant on a sandwich board, wouldn't it? People still walk up and down Argyle Street with that written on a sign it's done quite well for 2000 years but what does it mean what on earth does it mean repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near and what does it have to do with light and darkness and why would the kingdom of God come near in a place like this in Galilee repent in Greek is the word metanoia It means to change your perception, to see things differently, to see things afresh with new eyes, to see them as they really are. That's what repent means. So, when you switch on the light in the darkness, you see all kinds of things that you couldn't see before, didn't you? Even if you know they're there, you can't see them properly. So, when you switch on the light, things are illuminated. Things come into view that weren't seen before. And the same is true in the world. When someone shines a light on something, that's the the phrase that we use, isn't it? When they shine a light on something, we see it for what it really is. Or we see it in a new way. It's no accident that Jesus' ministry comes after he's been tempted out in the wilderness to pursue his own welfare... To exercise his own power and to look for his own security, those are the things that Jesus is tempted with: his own welfare, his own power, his own security. Light reveals and changes our perceptions. Amy Oden writes that just as Jesus' temptation, as in Jesus' temptation, the apparent powers of the world are unmasked, revealed to be a sham. To be bluster and posturing. During Epiphany, we recognize God's inbreaking in Jesus Christ, setting in stark relief the false worldly powers that claim so much authority in our lives success, productivity, dominance, self reliance. But they don't have the last word. They don't have the last word because Jesus speaks into our lives and calls us to repent. To change our perception. To see things differently. So that we can see that the kingdom of God is close at hand. Jesus calls two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And they're fishermen, they're busy at their work. But it gives us a clue about what this repentance looks like in practice. When Jesus comes to the fishermen, he says, Come and I'll make you fishers of men and in that he's helping them to repent to see things differently fishing for fish we all know what that looks like you get a boat and you go out onto the sea and you chuck a net in and you pull it in and then you take the net back in it's a metaphor I'll help you to do that same thing but for people he's not talking about big nets and going out in a boat and all that kind of stuff but we all understand what that might be He's helping them to see their world in a very different way. And in that work, as they go out and fish for people, the kingdom of God comes near. In calling these four men from their work and from their lives, Jesus is saying to them, things don't have to be the way that they've always been. The social and economic system isn't fixed which is something that people thought it was in those days. James and John are the embodiment of everything that goes on. They're literally in the boat with their father. Zebedee and James and John are sitting there mending their nets when Jesus appears. And we sentimentalize the calling of these fishermen. We write choruses about it and we draw pictures and oh it's lovely isn't it? Jesus walks along the beach and says come with me and they just go and they leave their father in the boat James and John just walk off and leave the old man to it and that's not supposed to happen they're supposed to help their father because if they don't who will there's not a job centre down the street where people are queuing up for things to do that's not how it works people do the job that their father did and their father before them, and their father before them. It's the family business. And what's supposed to happen is when their parents can't work anymore, they'll provide for them. They'll look after them. There's no state pension. Rabbis chose disciples who were young men. Just after their bar mitzvah, the rabbis would choose the brightest and the best to be their disciples, to be students, to learn and to follow them. And Jesus picks men who haven't been chosen. They didn't get picked. They weren't the brightest or the best, and we see that as the story unfolds. He picked ordinary people who've settled into the way that things are. And he takes them on a journey where they'll discover just how different things can be. He lets their light shine. And as their light shines, it changes other people's lives and theirs, just as ours can. John O'Donoghue writes, There's a quiet light that shines in every heart. It draws no attention to itself, though it's always secretly there. It's what illuminates our minds to see beauty, our desire to seek possibility, and our hearts to love life. Without its subtle quickening, our days would be empty and wearisome. No horizon would ever awaken our longing. Our passion for life is quietly sustained from somewhere inside us. That's wedded to the energy and excitement of life. This shy inner light is what enables us to recognize and receive the very presence of God as blessing. We enter the world as strangers. Who all at once have become heirs to harvest of memory and spirit and dream that long preceded us and will now enfold and nourish and sustain us. Once you see something, you can't unsee it. Can you? It's there. You've seen it, it is forever seen. We're forever changed by our own experiences, our own revelations, our own little epiphanies. But that doesn't mean we have no choice in what happens next once we've seen. We can choose to be them they used to watch The X Files. Right? So The X Files was a program about two people who looked for alien life, and every week they found it and then the next week they went back to disbelieving that it existed. It was the oddest program ever. They were like ultimate skeptics. They wouldn't believe their own eyes. How would we be changed by what we see? What will we do with our new understanding? Because you can just go back to your old life and pretend that nothing had happened, can't you? The lure of certainty and predictability is always very strong. It's actually what companies rely on to keep us with them. From changing suppliers. I've always been with them. They'll look after me. They're not. It's what governments rely on. To keep us from rising up and overthrowing them. There's a level and they seek to find it to just keep us happy enough not really happy because that would mean they're spending too much on us but happy enough that we won't do anything about it unless you're French (laughs) and then there's no level at all it's Tuesday, let's have a strike the call to follow Jesus asks us to leave everything behind including our understanding of how the world works, including our understanding of where power lies, including our understanding of what success looks like. And following Jesus, we're given a new identity. Simon even gets his name changed and becomes Peter. And of course, our relationships change when we go off with Jesus. Not just because we've chosen to go, to live a different life but because that changes us and it asks us to reevaluate what's important to us what matters to us and of course that would have an impact on the people around us following Jesus is not in any way a safe and predictable choice it just isn't but it's a choice that each of and every one of us is asked to make And of course, for the most part, these fishermen stay at home. Jesus' ministry is based in their town. They stay in Capernaum. They stay at home with their family and friends. They probably still go fishing, but they'll never be the same again. They're not just fishermen now. They're disciples of Jesus. And that's the thing that becomes foremost in their lives. And all because Jesus asked them, Come. Follow me. Follow me, and I'll change everything. And immediately, they left their boat. Not after a while, not after a chat, not after thinking about it for a bit. Immediately, they left their boat and their father. I always feel sorry for everybody. And followed Jesus. It's time. Time to leave home and make a new home. Farewell to sleepy Nazareth. Hello to buzzing Capernaum. Farewell to anonymity. Hello limelight. Old tribal territories bringing a new dawn for a new world. It's time. Time to begin because John's work has ended. Time to go public because the preparing is done. The wait is finally over. So farewell to the same old, same old, and hello, kingdom of heaven. Farewell to where is your God, to hello, God has come near. Farewell to the way that we've always done things. Hello to what lies beyond everything we ever knew. It's time. Time for a holy disruption. Time to go walking and calling and gathering a team. Farewell to the family business. Hello to the following business. Farewell to the known and the familiar and the predictable. Farewell to home and the devil we know. It's time. Time to say hello to a new dawn. Hello to walking and following and learning and following and learning and following. And seeing things in a new way. It's time. It's time for each of us to decide. I wonder when we are asked, will we immediately leave our boat and follow Him? Will we? Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.